Jeremy O'Day, who's a guy who has been with the franchise for basically his entire adult life, he steps in, but now his, his first order of business is getting the, the coaching decision right. And the most scrutinized person in that province, not, not a, an MP, it's HC. You are now listening to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Well, the time is here. I'm happy to introduce new co-host here, my partner here at The Waggle. This guy is, uh, if you're a Canadian sports fan, you probably know uh, this name, this face. He's with uh, Sportsnet, a regular on Tim and Sid, a young general in the media game, pop culture icon, interviewed pretty much everyone in the sports game, Steph Curry, Emmett Smith, Donovan Bailey, Joe Carter, you name it, he's been there. Uh, but uh, great to have this platform to talk CFL football because I believe that's your number one sport. Okay, played play running back at Western. Want to welcome to spew that football venom all season long with us, Donovan Bennett. I was like looking around, like who is this guy talking about? Like the way the the intro was, but yeah, no, I've, I've had the um, the pleasure to do some interviews. But hey, don't don't sleep on S.J. Green. Okay. Mark Tressman, some love. What about Shamad Blinka's chambers? Like I, my my favorite interviews and topics have often been the time with CFL guys, which is why this is such a great look for me to be here. Like, Mama, we made it. Like, I'm on a podcast with with the Davis Sanchez. So yeah, no, I, I'm happy to uh, to come in and basically like the league. I don't know how you find it. So much happens in the league that it's always in my head. Like, oh, this is an interesting. This is an interesting play to concept by, by Team X or, man, the roster construction on this team is super fascinating. And you have all these thoughts in your head and you just want to get them out somewhere. So now I get to, get to pick uh, your brain and try and fill the shoes of one, um, one James Sabalski, which is a tall, tall task. <laughs> you, uh, I mean, for, the, for sports fans who, who have seen you on Sportsnet and, and you know, you're an NBA guy. You do, you know, MLB guy, a Jays guy, a Raps guy, but is is it fair to say that football is is your is your number one? Yeah, when people say ball is life, um, normally they're talking about basketball. Even more so than you, I'm vertically challenged. I'm short, so that ball for me was was football. And man, I say this all the time: everything good that has come in my life has come through the game. The the game is literally kind of entrenched um, in me as a person, even the way I think, right? Like philosophically, I, I think you know this being around football your whole life. Like, you know, the way you think is like, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try this. If it doesn't work, I'm going to punt, regroup, and we're going to do it again. Like that mentality is is kind of in me. So, so th- th- that's why, you know, I love the sport. And even I mentioned Seaball, who's obviously covered it um, well for a long time. My, um, he probably doesn't even remember this. So my, my introduction into this industry, yours was through Seaball. It was. In yeah. a way, mine was also through really? through Seaball. Yeah. So I was a, a player at, at Western, and I, I mentioned that I'm shorter than you. I'm also smaller than you. So even though you were a undersized DB, I was a really undersized RB, running back, right? So I, unlike you, did not play in either league. Um, but, but when my time was up at Western, I knew I wanted to be involved in the game. And so uh, Dwayne Ford uh, shouts to D Ford, uh, who does a great job calling the game. Friend of the show? Yes, sir. Um, he, he was working at the score at the time uh, as a color commentator. And so I, basically I, I stalked the dude. And I'm like, listen, man, like I, I, I've got affinity for you. You know, both dudes from the Toronto area, 
uh, both former running backs, although you're much better than I ever was, obviously. Do you still have an affinity for a dude? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because if I could, it, like, it, it, I, Dwayne Ford is my spirit animal. Like, if I could, if I could actually be someone in life, it would be like the, the Mount Rushmore of dudes would be Dwayne Ford, Pinball, and Barack Obama. Like, those are the guys. And, you know, uh, Mount Rushmore's are four, so there's still room for you to get up on there. Yes. Um, but yeah, I was like, D Ford, I, I, I need to kind of help stay close to the game and cover it like you do because I'm not going to play it like you did. So I worked on a show, I interned on a show called CFL Snap on the score. The hosts of that show were Dwayne Ford and James Sobolski. So my initial indoctrination to, to, to covering sports at all, never mind football, was through him. And literally, like, I tried to be the dude's shadow. Quickly afterwards, he, he left and, and went to TSN went and did bigger things. But... I say this to my wife all the time, uh, and she hates the, the fact that I love cliches, but I kind of just made this one up. Relationships are life's greatest currency. And so the relationship that I forged with Dwayne Ford, with Sobolski, being able to follow their careers, being able whenever I see them to pick their brain about the industry is why I've had any little bit of success that I've had. So for me, it's like full circle to come and be able to jump on a podcast with a dude like you uh, and fill the shoes of Sobolski because he has continued his success in his career and is going on and, and doing you know even more great things. So yeah, so this is this is a homecoming for me in many respects. Dope. I'm I'm excited. Uh, watch watching you and and how you how you've been in the game and, and uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun going back and forth. I hope I hope that uh, they enjoy us as uh, as much as we're gonna have we're gonna have fun here. Uh, doing what we do and talking football. Donovan, to welcome you to the Waggle, our friends at Sport Clips, we want to give you that MVP treatment. It's kind of like your welcome party. And we'll get you that MVP treatment. Uh, picture this, DJ. Okay. Uh, a tight line, a precision haircut. You know, tighten up that fade of yours. Yeah. Uh, hot steam towel. Okay. Kind of like you're at the spa. You get a shoulder and neck massage, if, if you like. Yes, please. Cool with that? Yeah, please. Okay. Keep going. All the while... You watch sports on TV. Clean that nappy head of yours up. <laughs> it, and, is, uh, it is quite and, nappy. And for fans, and also they actually have a, a promo for fans. They can go to cfl.ca backslash waggle, and there's actually a promo for fans to go in there and get that same MVP experience they're offering you uh, for first time. First time uh, customers, they can come and get the same MVP experience that Sport Clips is offering for you. So actually, it's not that, sound like it was something prestigious they were giving to you, but really, we're putting you in your place. The fans get the same, the same, or uh, listeners, not fans, listeners get the same treatment as you, so don't think, you, don't think you're special. That's true. Listen, I want to I wanna go and listen to the fans' perspective on the CFL while I'm getting tapered up, getting a little number two uh, lineup, uh, and then get the curl sponge on the top at the end. That's, that That sounds perfect to me. Pink oil moisturizer? Uh, I I'm more of a. Uh, what are you putting that here? I'm more of a uh, a sheen guy. Okay. We we need to coin the term CFL Twitter, or because I, I I think it even supersedes football Twitter. Because if you were watching the the NFL conference championships, NFC AFC over the weekend, I feel like I saw more tweets about the CFL and its rules than the NFL because we had. A game that went to overtime that was decided on the on the first possession because Tom Brady is the goat and he just marched the field and, and Pat Mahomes didn't get to touch the ball and people felt like oh my goodness like this is wrong we we need to do it the way the CFL does or we had a blatant PI um, 
in a game that really was was a, a game decider. Um, and people said, wait a minute. Seal fans are like, you can't challenge that? Like a, a, a Grey Cup game was was changed. Legacies were changed because of the ability to challenge that. Like we figured that out a while ago, so much so that we like we brought it back. Like we're, we're challenging it a bit less now. Um, I, I found it fascinating that media members in the U.S. were citing the CFL rules as to the way things should have been done. Did you did you find that conversation at all interesting? Because you've, you've been on both sides of the board playing the game, and, and as a player, you know how much it hurts when the fate of the game is not decided by your actions. For the one thing I did love, Drew Brees, a former teammate of mine, watching him afterwards and and not pinning it on on the call saying we had a chance to make plays. Let's just I want to lay that out there right now because there's so many plays within a game. We all know that that, that was Did he do that for the cameras or does he really feel that way? The amount of hours of tape he watched, the amount of stairs that he ran. This guy who's not 20, he's not 30. Well, for I played with him. That tells you, tells you how old he is. Right, but he's now 40. He's not going to have that many chances to do this again. In his heart of hearts, does he really feel that way? Does he feel like he got cheated? Yes. Does he feel like that was the play that lost them the game? No, because we know there's there's so many plays that, you know, just because a play happens at the end of the game, that's not necessarily the deciding play. A play that happens in the second quarter has just as much value. It's just weird. Does it, though, though? It, it does. We just that's the highest we leverage the point of the game. P.I., spot foul. We're on, let's say, the three. Take a knee, take a knee, kick a field goal. No time. It's a wrap. We're talking, about, we're talking about Breeze Brady in the Super Bowl. Question for you, DJ. Yes. Talk to me. Does can a referee choke? Because Ooh, that's the only interesting. That's the only thing I could think of is that in that split second, the ref there's no questions, PI, everybody knows it. In that split second, the referee froze. It, he knows that he's thinking about the game. It's the last drive of the game. It's the, the NFC championship. I believe that the ref that, that was supposed to make that call. I believe that he choked, he froze. And once, once you know, six, seven seconds go by, three or four seconds after the ball is on the ground rolling around, it seemed like a minute to him. But that three or four seconds, one, Mississippi, two, Mississippi, three, Mississippi, and he doesn't throw a flag, he might, I think he just panicked and choked. It's, it's funny. So, great question. Because I, I actually haven't heard anybody really dissect that angle. This is why you come to the waggle, right? Because Davis is going to give you that other perspective. There, there's actually a study that was done, and it said that in the, in the playoffs, the number one seeds are so chalk, not necessarily because they're better, because that home field advantage matters. And that home field advantage, maybe you get to sleep in your own bed, like if there's some weather issues, you can change your cleats and so on and so forth. It actually matters because officials are more apt to throw PIs when a crowd reacts. It's just human nature. And so you'd think that of all times you were going to get that PI at home in the Superdome where it was so loud that, you know, Jared Goff was was constantly holding his ears for, for the first half of the game. But when you look at the data, Bill Vinovich, who was the, the, the crew leader, that crew, uh, they, they, and they're in that game because they had done a good job, but actually they, they're flags per game were the fewest in the NFL, 13.1. 
And so when you look at a situation where in the playoffs, you know this better than me, game gets a little more physical, and late in the game when official is afraid to be the story by making a call, what do we say? Keep the same energy. That crew actually kept the same energy. Yeah. They, they were the same as they were, even though that was a blatant missed call. They allowed it to be more physical. They, they didn't throw as many flags as you sus- would suspect. And, it, and actually trying to not decide the game, I think, what you're getting to is officials saying, man, I, I know if I reach for this flag, it's a wrap. And, it, and so in basketball, right, like, do you really call a foul late in, in, on last possession? You let the players play. Right. He tried to say, well, I'm going to let the players play. And actually what he did was the right. exact opposite. Well, I think he choked and reverted to his nature yeah. of letting it be fig- physical, not throwing a lot of flags. And, and in fact, as the referees, what they're taught is call what you see. You can't call what you don't see, but call what you see. And unless my guy was doing the bird box challenge, I don't know how you could not have seen that. He, he the, the defender actually said to the media afterwards, yeah, I, mean, I, got, I got away oh, with yeah, it. Yeah, no question. He was laughing, and he was laughing in the locker room. He said no question. He, he heard the crowd. He looked, went to turn around and look to see the flag. Cause, oh, no, that was a PI, he said. He looked around and didn't see any flags. I do want to say this. There's, there's a, a certain, uh, you know, when a referee, the best referees to me in this league, or in the National Football League, are referees who understand that they might have made a mistake and they want to get it right, regardless of how they look. Now, in that situation, DJ, that referee realized that after that, the three seconds, four seconds, he didn't throw the flag, there was three or four other guys out there, and himself even, they could have got together huddled. And as bad as it might have looked, they could have corrected it. Yes. Everyone saw that it was P.I. They should have at that point. Uh, be humble enough and understand, hey, I messed up here. Let's gather ourselves and let's get it right. And that's what replay does. And that's why what we do here in the CFL is now going to be adopted in the National Football League. That will, no question, be a challengeable play moving forward because they don't want to piss off people like Mrs. Benson, the owner of the Saints, who has way too much money and way too much power and have them feel the way they feel right now. Uh, along with the fans as well. Yeah, and, and, uh, you know, Nickel Roby Coleman, the, the DB on the play, said to the media, yeah, I, knew, I mean, it, I knew I was in trouble. I knew the fans were going nuts. And I got up, and low-key, the ref said it was tipped. So I just played with it. I was like, okay, it was tipped. And f- as a referee, once you say to the Saints sideline, oh, it was tipped, that's why I called that. You can't, can, you, I don't know if you can come back from that, even if you huddle up, because again, you have to call what you see. So if you're claiming you saw the ball being tipped at the line of scrimmage, you, you, you can't, you can't then reverse say and say, oh, actually, I had the men in black thing. I reversed my memory and it, 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 it wasn't tipped. And, and, and I, I felt like they should have huddled up to send him you know, a little bit of a life preserver and you ultimately want to get the call right. But sometimes, and this was just me as a player, when I was one uh, over a decade ago, when I would see a flag thrown and then they would huddle and then they'd pick the flag up, I'd be like, well, wait, why did you throw it in the first place? You either saw something or you didn't. So again, you don't have a PBR in your brain. You can't rewind it and replay it. So I, I, I don't, that, that, I mean, obviously if the call went for me, I was happy, but when it went against me, I felt like even if you're wrong, how did you come to that decision? And when you are in the best position in the stadium to make that call, it's not a situation where he was out of position. 
I almost feel like once you told that lie from that that crew standpoint, they had to, they had to write it out and hope that the Saints held held on to win. Because if they did, we wouldn't be talking about it in the same type of way. One thing we're gonna do for sure on this show, on this podcast, and uh, whether we like it or not, we're gonna put ourselves on on each other on the spot, and we're gonna ask ourselves to make tough decisions. And I might as well just throw it out right right off a rip and and throw one to you that uh, you're not prepared for, but but I, I know you'll be ready to answer it. When it comes to PI, uh, when it comes to challenges, and as we sit here recording this uh, right beside the commissioner's office, a question I have for the commissioner or a rule change I would like to see happen is one: the CFL only having one challenge uh, for teams. I think I think you get things right by challenging. And now the reason why they ch- the commissioner didn't change that rule because teams were actually scheming to try to get pass interference to get calls to challenge and it was slowing down the game and that's not good for business it's not good for the game it's not good for the fan experience but having one challenge has has now taken away look referees it's human error referees it's a ton of human error so to get things right that's what challenges and replays are for we have nine million cameras because for the reason that we want to get for the viewing experience but also to get things right dj should the canadian football league go back and add another challenge, or is one challenge a game enough for you? And so for our listeners who may not be as informed on what the rule is, we've got you know, many listeners from outside of Canada because uh, the CFL is, how many is, is people think? How many people do they tell you listen to this show? There's, there's, about, there's about six. I know my brother listens. I think there's uh, my wife. So, nah, she doesn't listen. There's not that many listen. How many do you think listen? Well, I, the press release said something like 1.3 million downloads. Uh, I, I think that's a crock. I, I, think that's I assume that is per episode. I'm not buying it. Uh, if not, we need to get it to that point. But uh, in 2014, the league stepped in and said, you know what? Okay, this is getting out of control. Pass interference can be reviewed. And, and just so happened that a, a no-call late in the 2015 Grey Cup was was changed because of that very rule. So it's, it has been effective. But to your point, people were scheming. So uh, the, the amount of challenges was cut because, I mean, everyone was so upset that it was slowing down the game, that it's a subjective call in the first place. So you're going back and re-refereeing the game with technology. And I'm here for more challenges. I, I am of yes. the school of Bill Belch. I'm in the school of Bill Belichick who says everything should be reviewable. You should be able to challenge everything. I, I, listen, I, if you are willing to tell me that a lucky season ticket holder, every game gets a challenge flag that they can throw from, <laughs> from the upper deck, I'm here for that. Because ultimately, you want to get the call right. Everyone who is saying, man, the game slows down, the pace of the game, that all of that is true. But I'm willing to sit through all of that so that what happened on Sunday never happened. 12 more minutes possibly for sure. each game. More we're football. Talking, we're, not, we're not talking football time. We're talking, we're talking uh, you know, in, in real time commercials, all that stuff. If the game is, if the broadcast is 12 minutes longer and we don't have ish like this, happen uh, i'm with you i'm all for it yeah i mean it's people act like it's one a series in 2018 42 defensive pis were called um in, in the league in, in 2018 and this is when i say the league the, the cfl 20 of those were overturned so it's not when we think about the fact that there's four games a week 
it's not as if this is something that's happening on every drive. I just, for the guys who put in the sweat equity, the work, and again, this is a legacy changer. Um, this changes the way we perceive Sean Payton or Drew Brees if they're in another Super Bowl, potentially win another one. It's also a game check in the Super Bowl. hundred percent. How did how did Sean Payton, and I love him for it, how did he motivate the Saints? He, he had some armed guards, and he brought out the Brinks truck, and he brought out... 250 stacks and a, and a Super Bowl ring and the Vince Lombardi trophy. And he put in the locker room and said, you want this? Go win three games. Mm. Well, those guys feel like, well, we won two games, but one was stolen from us. And so I, I feel for those guys because they're never, ever, ever going to get that chance back. How about you stop fat-ass C.J. Anderson? All right, let's move on. Uh, well, 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 let's because you know, you, know who, uh, you know who feels like something was stolen from them? Ryder fans. And Ryder fans always kind of feel some type of way. So while you, you know, the rest of the fans of the league both love them for their passion, but but hate them because sometimes they're not practical. But but they lost their coach, Chris Jones, after a, a week after they were celebrating resigning their coach in Chris Jones, a man who has their record improving every year since he was there. He's arguably the best coach in this league. Well, you said he is the best. Don't put a qualifier on it. Well, you're, you're moonwalking now? Did I say he was the best? You said he is the best coach yeah, in the league. And I, and I, do, I do think he is, yeah. Or, or was. Well, I mean, let's just put it out there. If you had one coach to, to play for of the, the guys who were currently coaches, he's no longer one. He's now a defensive specialist, whatever that means. Um, would he be the guy that you'd want to play for? The one thing I, w- I will say, and we'll probably get into this in a second, it's, it's 1A and 1B when it comes to coaches in this league. Who's the other one? Chris Jones and Mark Tressman. They both have jewelry. And Mark Tressman is, for some reason, not at the top of the list when it comes to availabilities for coaches. It's, it's, a, it's a joke. It's a travesty. And this is not me saying that because I, I've played in great Cups with him. I've won championship with him. It has nothing to do with that. It really doesn't. It's a fact that I've been around a lot of coaches over my 13-year career in both in both leagues, and nobody is better than Mark Trestman. He's that good. So what you saw in Toronto last year with that offense, yes, they, they didn't move the ball down the field. No doubt about it. They didn't. I'm going off track here. They didn't move the ball down the field. Yes, they didn't. Now, whatever reason that is, some people say it's the offense. I say it's the personnel. Um, they, they weren't good on defense. That's not him. It's that, that defensive team was not good anyway. It's – it's ridiculous that he's not at the top of the list. But, yeah, 1A and 1B, Mark Tressman and Chris Jones, I say that they're the, they're the two best. But Mark is not in the league. Sorry, DJ, well, I went off track. Well, neither of them are in the league right now, right. Uh, which is a surprise to, to many. Um, and for those who, who, who haven't uh, paid attention, we're going to get you caught up. Um, Chris Jones has a relationship with Freddie Kitchens, the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns, who was a surprise hire. Um, I didn't know who Freddie Kitchens is until this week. Never I, heard of him. I, I didn't know who he was until this year. He's, he started the year as a running backs coach. He ends the year. Like 2018 was good to Freddie Kitchens. Sure. Um, he ends the year as a, as a head coach. He was promoted to – He was uh, waiting in line at the club. Yeah. And at the end of the year, he was sitting in VIP sipping champagne. 100%. He – and, and a lot of this is about the relationship with the quarterback. He was promoted to offensive coordinator after Hugh Jackson uh, was let go by the Browns. Did a good job in that stead. As we know, uh, Baker Mayfield, not a fan of, of Hugh Jackson. Uh, evidently is a fan of Freddie Kitchens. So Kitchens gets the job. Um, and Kitchens has a relationship with Chris Jones from their time together at Alabama, Roll Tide. 
Jones was a uh, a coaching uh, assistant on the staff. Uh, Kitchens was uh, towards the end of his year, so they're around the same age. They've kept in contact since. So Jones takes his four Grey Cup uh, championships, uh, and he uses that opt-out clause that he has and goes to the NFL. And the immediate reaction I had was, man, he kind of left the Riders in a tough spot. Why? Because he, you just... You, January, PJ, you got time. You, well, true, but you just re-signed all of the assistants. You re-upped them right. for, for a couple more years. The, That's an issue. You're, yeah. you're, not, you're not leaving for another head coaching job or a coordinator job. You're a special assistant on defense. And so I'm shooting the deuces. You offer me the job, and my boy, who's Freddie Kitchens, is his guy. You offer me a foot in the door in the NFL. I'm 50 years old, and I got a foot in the door with a guy that I believe is ascending and is and is my friend. I'm kicking rocks, and I'm shooting the deuces to Sask as well. I'm gone. You're not just a coach. You were virtually a coordinator. You're not just a coach. You were the GM. You were you were the VP. You were best you were, job. You were, the, best job. That's the best job in the CFL. I agree. And he left, but he left a vacancy for multiple jobs. Yep. So with much with much is given, much is asked. And so I'm not saying you can't do better for you and your family. I, I, I don't know if the money paid for a special assistant he is more. more. He made more last year in SAS than he will this year in Cleveland, but he has the potential to make. 15, 10, 10 million in three years from now, or five million in three years. That's the difference. Yeah. And, but it, it, I also think you have a loyalty to your current employer and to your employees. If, if, if his boy McAdoo gets let go by the new coach, that, what, what, are, we, what are we talking about right now? Here's a question. You, you, let, you, you re-upped me yep. where I could have tried and got jobs elsewhere. And then I got to let go, and you're good. You're gone. So, so that's why I felt the timing was tough. I'm not saying he shouldn't have done it, but I, my initial reaction was like, ooh, that was a bit of a gut punch. You just said his boy, McAdoo. Yeah. You just said he got his, his coaches, his assistant coaches all just re-signed. Mm-hmm. And if you know Chris Jones' history, all those guys are his assistants were guys who have been with him as from, well. They from, came, from time. He's loyal. Yeah. Is there any possibility that he knew he was leaving and got his guys? Maybe he's being little. Maybe, maybe. he got his guys an extension. He want to get that deal done, get them extended before he left. Yeah, I mean that's that, I, mm, I had conspiracy theories on the wagon. I hadn't thought about that, but but I think what you're alluding to is the fact that there is a, a football ops cap, and that if you're going to say goodbye to me, you really better think about it. Because you're paying me my money. It's not like a player where I can cut bait with you, and other than your your, your bonuses, um, it's it is really deuces. Your money's guaranteed. So listen, I, I'm I'm gone. I can't take you guys to Cleveland with me, but I'm gonna make sure you're straight here in in Edmonton and make them really really think about potentially giving you guys Sask. promotions. Sorry, yes, yeah, Sask and. Giving you guys promotions. It's green, there's no hills. Same, same thing. Right. I, I just <laughs> forgot because he's with most of those guys since he was in Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. um, that's an that's an interesting aspect. So, so since we're going down that road, and Jeremy O'Day, who's a guy who you know has been with the franchise for for basically his entire adult life, um, and his his expressed goal was when he retired eight years ago. He said, in no uncertain terms, I want to be a GM in this league. Now he is. So he he steps in. They had a, a ready made replacement they're good there but now his his first order of business is getting the the coaching decision right and the most scrutinized person 
in that province is not not a, an MP. It's it's the it's the head coach. It's the HC. Where does he go in your mind with this decision? I, I'm going to start a little recurring segment on this podcast. WWYD. What would no? What would you do? What would would WWDD? Let's say what would Davis do? I'll tell you what would Donovan do in a second. What would Davis do? Oh, it works both. It works for it. Does it works, that's that's good. That's good. You bringing some ish to the table. Goodness gracious. Uh, so. Th- what I do in this in this spot because of the time and because of who's available, uh, I think you go you hire within. Now I believe so. No Benavides who's available, no Tressman who you just caped for who's available. Yeah, I I'm you're asking what they're going to do, not what I would do. No, no, I'm so asking what question. would you, what would you do? Uh, okay. What would you do if 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 Jeremy calls you yeah. on the phone as soon as we get off this pod? I hire Mark Tressman. Okay, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Why? No if hands or buts because Why? he brings. Because he's a sharpest, he's a sharp football mind, if, if not the sharpest. And he's he's someone who brings not only does he bring that, but he also brings. Uh, he he's prepared. He's uh, he's a guy that you can follow. He's a leader in regards to uh, of men. Uh, he's, I'm not going to go and beat my Mark Tressman drum much much more. It is what it is. You know how I feel, and I, I promise you on everything I love. I I spit it. I spit the truth. I, I'm. Like me and Seaball used to say quite often, we keep it 97. Okay. 3%. I keep 3% to the side, make sure I keep some job security. <laughs> I don't want to keep it 100 and lose the job. But, but anyway, it's, I keep it 97, and I, I'm spitting the truth here. It's, it's strictly about what he brings to the table, not about a relationship. But that, that being said, it doesn't seem like they're feeling the, the same way. And I also believe that you have, you have capable defensive guys on that staff to uh, to step up and the first one is Jason Shivers who uh, I believe if you do go I believe they want to go La Police um, I strongly believe that that was their choice it's obvious they asked to interview him mm-hmm. um, Jamie Elizondo was also a, a good young coach but so, I, I really two believe, offensive guys yeah and but Lapo and Jeremy O'Day have a relationship yeah so they were together before so that's why I, I believe uh, you know Dave Dave Naylor talks about uh, t- talks about the fact that that uh, uh that he believes that these the coaches are, you know, they're interviewing for the job, but they're not. They have not been offered the jobs. So these are they've been denied. They've been denied an interview, but there's no offers. I believe that they would have offered that job to Paul Lapolis. I truly believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I promote within to to do to do with the least amount of movement. Craig Dickinson is it makes the most sense. If if you can't have you, you can't have you don't want Tresman for some reason. Lapo and, and Elizondo are not are not uh, available, and so to me, if you're going within Mike Benavides, I think would be a, a good hire because now you have a defensive coordinator that slides right in there. Who is I played for Mike. He, Mike's a, a good DC. Uh, I think he'd do a great job there. Uh, so he's he's a candidate, but I think for not having uh, for keeping the, the continuity at this time of year with when you have a whole staff, and this is the big deal, is it because the whole staff is still there? And you have to, you know, if you keep them, the one guy that knows all those guys, and it's the most seamless transition is is Craig Dickinson, and uh, he's a quiet, he's a special teams coach, he's a he's a leader, but he's a quiet leader, and I think that's uh, he's someone that people he's off the radar a bit, um, but you ask people in the football circles about Craig Dickinson, and he's somebody that people respect. He's a sharp football mind. He's obviously the brother of Dave Dickinson, and um, and. Craig may say that Dave's his brother, uh, yeah, vice versa. But uh, yeah, he's. I think you do that just because it's at this point in time you have because, like you said, DJ, you have to keep the whole staff. 
so if you look at the guys who were who were named who rumored to kind of get head coaching jobs who didn't get them you got Mark Washington well he he's in Hamilton and he basically took you know all his homies in BC with him so it's going to be tough to to get him out of that situation you got Lapo you've you've gone through kind of the difficulties there and why that that was potentially their initial thought i think it is going to be Craig Dickinson i think it should be Craig Dickinson and here's why in this era where you have a cap on your, your front office, uh, your football ops staffs, and basically your coaching staff. The next head coach of the Riders is going to have to deal with that current staff. They're going to have to deal with it on both sides. I think Mark Tressman is a great coach. I don't necessarily know if bringing in Mark Tressman, having him deal with um, a talent evaluator that he doesn't have a relationship with is necessarily a great yeah, look. Yeah. I don't know. So that's how he, he, he leads up. I don't know if him leading down to a staff that he doesn't – necessarily have a relationship with would be the best look uh, because he's a demanding coach and he has no no real great familiarity with the guys there 64 and 26 before True. this year in toronto 64 that's probably before this year in toronto that might be the best winning percentage of any coach in seattle history true but i think i think when you look at the role of this coach they're gonna have to manage a staff and they're, they're and and when I get you, where you're coming from. But when you look at we, when we often look at head coaching jobs, it's like, ooh, do they need a defensive guy? Do they need an offensive guy? What what is their issue? Do they need to get more out of the quarterback? What did they lose? I think we should be more often looking at special teams guys because they're someone who knows how to deal with the entire roster, deal with the entire coaching staff. Hey, is your is your backup running back? Is he up this week? I'm going to need him on kickoff, so on and so forth. They need they know how to deal with stars in the Canadian Football League because stars at times on the on the front end and back end of their career have to play specials. They know how to deal with developmental guys. They know how to deal deal with the entire roster and. If we look at O'Shea, a guy who was a defensive player, but as, as far as a coach, was a special teams guy. He has the, the pulse on his entire football team. And, doesn't, and, and because of the ad that quickly, DJ, those special team guys, and I think this is where you're going with this as well, is they're not – he's able to watch the whole game and feel yes. the, team, the pulse of his team. Yes. Not have to worry about the crazy X's nose that are associated with being a DC or an OC. Right, or it, dealing with being a coordinator and, and the adjustments and the in-game stuff. They, they, they understand the, the pulse of the team. And, and also, a lot of those notes, and, and, and Tressman, even though he was obviously – he was – deep into the offensive game plan. The thing about Tressman you notice is he's always taking notes. Those a lot of those notes are not necessarily for that game. Because those bullet points. Okay. He's got a little notepad in his pocket always. Always. No matter where he'd be out for dinner, he's got that notepad with him. But a lot of that is not necessarily for that game or the, or, the, or later in the game. A lot of that is for okay, what do we need to work on this week? What our run game is a little soft or we're not we're not dealing with the backside tear. We need to be a little more physical this week. We we need to pro- we're dealing with a tough pass rusher. We got a couple of them coming up. We need to work on chipping off the edge, and and a special teams guy is always always thinking about contingencies and moving forward. And that's why I think Dickinson, who is going to be a head coach in this league, Agreed. if not now in the next one to two years, well, you're, so you're going to lose him at some point. You might as well just promote him internally and, and keep him and see if he can do the job. I think I think we I think you're touching on something that's going to be a trend in football uh, in general is special, is special team coaches. I mean, we're going to start seeing those guys 
uh, be head coach. We don't see it. No one takes them serious. They're the guy who, you know, is giving high fives, slapping guys on the helmet, right? The, oftentimes. Some of them you can't take serious. Well, true, true. Uh, oftentimes, you know, they're the get back coach, right? Yeah, coach get back. So they, so explain explain to, the, to the listeners about coach get back. And first of all, everyone hates coach get back because they're just annoying. So on every staff, on every, on every team, there is one coach whose sole job is to get people off of the sideline and back a couple get steps. Get back, get back, get back. Right, to get back, coach. That's and because, and so the, the referees are constantly saying, give me the sideline. I need the sideline, fellas. Gentlemen, get back. <laughs> and it's so annoying because they need, and, and it's a safety thing. The referees need to run up and down the sideline. They need to look for PIs. So they don't need, they, they don't need to be you know, doing, uh, you know, sure. jukes in between players while they're doing their job. So they need to be given the sideline. But you, you're into the game. You want to get a good vantage point what's going on. So you creep up, you creep up on the sideline. You're looking onto the field. So you're, you're not on that line. Half the time you're on the field. And the coaches are the worst. So there's a get-back coach who's, who's, who's often the special team Often coach. the special teams guy who's often right beside the coach saying, okay, this is what the, uh, the field goal guy is good from. This is what the wind is saying. Remember, he's giving them constant reminders. So you're, as a special teams coach, you're playing the game through your mind. Okay, I, need, I punt alert. We've got a fake. Where on the field are we? Are we going to be using it? So you're already thinking through the game like you're a coach when you're the special teams coach. On first down, what are we calling? On second down, okay, I need, I need punt alert, especially in the CFL. I need punt alert. I need punt return alert, whatever the case may be. So you're thinking about conversions and how far the down and distance is. And, and oftentimes, the special teams guy, because they're right beside the coach, they're the get-back guy. So the coach doesn't have to scream, everyone get back. He, the, the special teams coach is saying get back. So that's who the get back coach is, who's, who's often annoying. But, but, but special teams coaches aren't often taken very seriously because they're the get back guy or because they're the crazy guy who's, who's getting everyone jacked up to run down on kickoff. But look at, look at the NFL, Jim Harbaugh, special teams guy. Uh, CFL, Michael Shea, special teams guy. I feel like really we've got into the trend where people are just hiring OCs to be their head coach because we just want offense. We just want quarterbacks. The next offensive guru. Yes, that next guy, that next Tressman, that next McVay. Uh, But really I think we should be taking a hard look at special teams guys because they have to deal with the entire roster. Agreed. And when it comes to to draft prep, who are some of the most educated coaches as far as the, the upcoming talent? Special teams coaches, because they're going to deal with the young, the young prospects Canadian, first. Especially in the CFL, the young Canadians are, are going to be special teamers, so they'll also have a very good, to your point, a very good idea of the draft and and uh, and, and how your roster is going to be mapped out for sure. And how yeah. do you, as a young guy, how do you make the club? Teams. Special teams. And, and that special teams guy is an endorser for you to, hey, man, this guy is killing it on, on special okay, so teams. We, look at them on offense. Look at them in defense, so on and so forth. So we so – we, We've beaten the, I've beaten the Mark Tressman drum. You've beaten the Dickey, the Dickey drum. And we've, we've said that all the special team coaches, the next trend. What about, let's, let's quickly talk about a couple of the other names being mentioned. And the one I want to get your take on is can a 75 year old Jerry Glanville be a serious, in, in serious contention for this job? And yes, and why or why not? So I was in training camp, um, you know, doing Manziel watch like everybody else. In Hamilton, and I, I wanted to to really take a look at Glanville, cause I'm like, man, what, what does this guy know about this league? What does this guy know about an extra DB? 
what does this guy know about the fact that an outside linebacker in this league really is a DB at this point, right? What does he know about the ratio and if he wants to stack his defensive ends as Canadians or does he want his three techniques to be Canadians and have depth there? Does he know anything about this? I was like, this is going to be a hot mess because the learning curve defensively is so much. On offense, I think it's freeing. What do you mean I get unlimited motion? What do you mean the field is wider? Are you kidding me? So on offense, I think a guy like Tressman can quickly take what he did in the United States and apply it to the CFL because it's more liberal. On defense, it is so much more complex. And you have to understand Canadian offense and then now defense. You have to understand other defenses because when you're watching tape, you want to see, okay, well, this is how they adjusted to that set. We do something similar. How will they adjust to us? I thought, man, that, th- this is going to be too much for this guy too soon. But, but what he did was get those guys excited. What he did was made Steel Town really Steel Town, got them running to the ball, get, got them hitting hard. And I was like, this guy, he, he may be learning the league as he goes, but he's not learning motivation. That's something he can do right now. He hasn't lost that. He hasn't lost any energy with that age. And I say all that to say is that I doubted the, the job he was going to do as a coordinator, and I was really impressed with that defense. I'm not doubting the job that he could do as a head coach because a head coach is bringing energy, making sure that's infectious to your team, and he, he proved to me that he can learn on the fly, which is something I didn't think he could yeah, do. I think to add, he seemed to be, and I've had a chance to talk with him, I had a chance to talk to some of his coaches. The one thing that I think really helped him and, and, uh, and allowed him to have success quickly was that is as accomplished of a coach he is in his career, you know, 30 years in the NFL, maybe longer, whatever it may be, is he was quick to ask questions and he wanted to know from guys who were here. And that humility and willingness to learn and adapt, I think for a guy that's 75 years old, that's why he was so good. He's a great motivator. Uh, He would be, this is why he's a, I think he's a candidate, I'm with you. He's a great motivator. He's also somebody who is willing to learn and listen. Uh, he's not. He, he's humble enough to do that, and also, he could be a one and done. He he's not looking for the long term deal. He could say, you know what? Let me do this for one year, and then if you want to go find whoever it may be, Jimmy Elizondo, Paul Police, Mike Benavides later, then now you can you can, and have their own staffs. Now you can do that. Mark Tressman, whoever it may be, but that's he could be a one and done as well. So I remember in camp. He was like in his southern voice, which I'll try and impersonate, but do a terrible job. It's like, oh, let me let me talk to you, number twenty one. Let me talk to you, number twenty one. I'm like, man, that's Simone Lawrence. Like, at some point, you're gonna have to realize <laughs> that that's not number twenty one. Like, he's not the the guys that they're brought up for camp who have like their name on their helmet and tape. Like, he he's going to be on your your two deep. But but to your point, why he wanted to talk to number twenty one, although he didn't recognize who he was in the game, he recognized he had knowledge. And he knew that I need some of that knowledge to, to coach the other 11 guys on the field. And I think that's, that's why he'll be successful. Now, you know, a guy who's been, he's done all right for himself. He's been pretty successful in his career. Dave Naylor. Dave Naylor. We, uh, if, with everything that's going on in Saskatchewan, uh, and not just in Saskatchewan, in, in Atlantic Canada with a team potentially going out there, a game potentially going out there, in Mexico, uh, with players coming from there and, and potentially Canadian players going to play there. We should, we should get Naylor on uh, to get his perspective, to break down all of this.
Our guest on the waggle today has probably no sleep in his life. Like you have a new child, Davis, so so you claim you get no sleep. I don't think Dave Naylor ever sleeps because this league doesn't seem to sleep in what is supposed to be the offseason. Dave, thanks for joining us. And I assume you thought the Chris Jones news was done when he signed a new contract. But a week later, he signed a new contract in a different league. What did you make of how quickly all of that transpired and what that now means for the riders moving forward? Well, I was surprised. I mean, when we saw, first saw that report, I thought, no, I, that, I mean, I was doubtful just because, I mean, look, I think the way these things happen, a lot of people say, hey, Chris Jones just signed an extension a week before. Let's be honest. He signed it before that. I did sign weeks or maybe even months before that, probably not months, but essentially when these agreements are made, the team strategically picks a time to announce it. And they are obviously trying to pick a time where they think any chance that this guy's not going to be there through another job in another league has passed. You know, in fact, yeah, I believe that they released that on the day that I was sitting down with them in Mont Tremble at the league meetings because, you know, it was something for us to talk about. And, you know, Chris Jones at that time, I talked to him about the NFL. He said this stuff had kind of, you know, the name being circled in, in rumors sort of caught him by surprise. And But what we know is that when Freddie Kitchens got hired, they it was, from what I understand, the request to interview him from the Browns came on the Saturday uh, following the league meetings. That would be Saturday, the day before the Mexican Combine, when Jeremy O'Day and Steve McAdoo were in Mexico City. And he interviewed on Monday morning. By Monday afternoon, you know, they found out he was gone. So, it's unlikely. It doesn't happen that often. You know, that's the other thing. We're not expecting that much. Jones hadn't been kicked around, to my knowledge, in NFL circles for very long, but he had a connection with Freddie Kitchens. You know, he had some people that vouched for him with John Dorsey, the GM there, including Bill Parcells, you know, who he knows well, and it all just came together very quickly. Yeah, we know that. He took a shot, uh, Freddie Kitchens, he has a connection with, so that was his opportunity to take a shot at the NFL. He did that. But now, since then, that's when everything's really gone crazy in, in Rider Nation. Uh, it, they hired Jeremy O'Day to be the GM, which everyone, everybody thought. Uh, but now we have two offensive coordinators, Jimmy Elizondo, Paul LaPolice, that have been denied the opportunity to replace Chris Jones in his head coaching role. What, uh, where are we at now with all this? It's been a pretty crazy week. It, it really has. And, and I think it's really highlighted you know, a problem that the league has right now. With this, with this ruling, and look, they tried to clean this up all three years ago, right? Remember when Jones was going to Edmonton while the season was still on, and or at least they had reached out. Uh, you know, we're, we're certainly, you know, there was some, there was some communication there, and that, the league doesn't think that's good. There, Ottawa got in a fight about allowing Jason Moss out of his contract to go be the head coach in Edmonton. Montreal got the league to block Noel Thorpe from going to Montreal to Edmonton, and the league said, okay, this is. We got too much chaos here. We got too many guys sneaking at the back door, whispers, communication that's not official. We're going to regiment this process. And I think what they did was they went too far. And, and what they've done is basically put complete control in the hands of the team president to allow whether a guy goes or not. And there's nothing saying that, hey, like if, if these requests had come in on December the 5th, there's nothing saying that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers would have had to let Paul LaPolice interview. There's nothing saying the Ottawa Red Black would have had to let Jamie Elizondo. It basically, the policy says, from 48 hours after the Great Cup until April the 30th, 
you can request permission to interview a coach from another team, and that team can give you permission or not. It just doesn't seem – it's so much at the discretion of the team. And now you hear people saying, well, is that the Bombers saying it's too late in the calendar to replace Paul Apolise, or do they just worry that it's Saskatchewan? They don't want him riding into the banjo bowl and kicking their butt the week after Labor Day. Or in Ottawa, is it that it's too late in the calendar to replace Jamie Elizondo, or are they worried that with free agency coming up, he might take Trevor Harris with him to Saskatchewan? So there's so much now that's kind of clouded in this thing. I think what the league needs is a policy that says, hey, up until X date, you have to allow your guys to interview for promotions, right? And pick the date. I don't know what it is, February, January 20th, February 5th, the Super Bowl, something. And then after that, when you get to a certain point in the offseason, it, you know, it should be at the president's discretion. But to say the whole period is at the president's discretion, you know, in, in a league where you don't have a pension for coaches and where there's a salary cap that, that restricts what they can make now, I, I just think you have to allow guys in a reasonable timeline to, to go for promotion. Dave, Dave, how much of this is on the coaches and the agents of these coaches to not have that in the, in the contract, saying uh, could they not put that in their deal, saying that I, you know, I, I have the opportunity through uh, the whole offseason or up until April or May to, to do uh, with, with my offseason or with my next job what I want? I, I, think, that, I think you're onto something, and, and I think there is some. And I, you know, in both, both these cases, I think I, I'm led to believe that both these guys thought there was going to be no issue with the, them interviewing. So they made an assumption that turned out not to be true. And of course, had they known uh, that they that this would might come up and, and they would be blocked this way, I'm sure they would have put language in their contract that just said, "Hey, let it be understood, you're going to grant me permission up until you know pick a date, February 5th, whatever, to interview for any head coaching job." But they went on the assumption that they would be allowed to, and that assumption turned out to be incorrect. So. Yeah, I, I think you're going to see one of two things here. You're either going to see a league policy change, or it's going to be standard procedure for coaches' contracts to put language in it that documents that they have an out that, that supersedes, you know, the, the league's policy on, on that, where it says the president has to say. So, yeah, in both these circumstances, these guys would have been well served to have clauses in their contract. And, and But, you know, the, the other thing you, you have to look at is, say, it, you could have language that goes the other way. Like, let's say a coach gets a, a two-year extension – uh, as an offensive coordinator and gets top dollar in terms of the market, the team may say, hey, we'll let you do this. We're going to give you this two-year extension. We're going to pay you, you know, X dollars more than anybody at OC, but we want you to forego the opportunity to interview for head coach for a couple of years because we don't want to be turning over. So you'd have to have that language put in, right? And, and I know there have been some in the past that, that had that. I, I believe, uh, and again, I, I won't, I've got one in my head, but I don't want to say it in case I'm wrong, but there, I believe there's an example of that one. So, yeah, all of this needs to be cleaned up, right? And right now, you've got the two top candidates that are not available, and now you start to say, well, okay. Like, I had heard that Edmonton, uh, line, the linebacker coach who became the defensive coordinator, Philip Lawley, was somebody who they were interested in. He's a mentor to Chris Jones. Well, is Edmonton going to let him go, or is it going to be three times rejected, right? Uh, and then it really opens up the market for the guys that don't have jobs right now. Mike Benavides, you know, guy with a defensive background, head coaching experience. Jerry Glanville, you know, I know he's 77, but he did a good job with the Ticats. And if you're looking for a stopgap to get you through one year, and the next year you can make a hire in December and presumably have your choice of anybody you want in the league, then Jerry Glanville, defensive coordinator, head coaching experience, isn't going to demand a long-term contract. He would get you a stopgap measure. I think, you, you know, again, you could do that with Craig Dickinson as well. You know, again, if, if, if you wanted to 
to, I don't know whether he would go for a short-term contract. He's already on staff there or whether he would want a long, those are the guys who come to the, the fore on this one. You know, Mark Tressman's name is going to get kicked around uh, as well. Again, he's being kicked hit. around. He's 64 and 26 before that debacle last year where they had no talent in Toronto. His name being kicked around is a, is a joke because he should be at the top of the list of, of any of these candidates. 64 and 26 before this year. And we're talking about kicking his name around. I think that's a joke, but that's, that's another topic. Well, I, I, I think it's a fair comment. I mean, there are also people that could look at it and say, you know, what's his record when he's not coaching a Hall of Fame quarterback? And, and, it, and it's not very good. Um, you know, there, 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 you could go both ways on that. But, look, I think Mark Trash was a, a quality candidate. I don't know if he'd want to go to Saskatchewan. I don't know if he wants to coach next year. And I also don't know whether he'd want to coach a team where, you know, they could be – Look, I think Saskatchewan's going to be in on the bidding for the big fish and free agent quarterback this year. But if you don't get one, you know, you may, you may have a developmental guy. Like, I don't know what you consider Jonathan Jennings. You know, he's thrown for 5,000 yards. It's two, it's two years ago. He hasn't done much the last couple of seasons. You know, does Mark Tressman want to coach a team where, you know, he might, you know, he might have a guy who's, who's more in the developmental stage than he is in, than he is a star. And, Again, I, I don't think that's what Saskatchewan's shooting for, but if you start counting the chairs and the bodies when it comes to quarterbacks in this upcoming free agency, somebody's not going to get what they want. And so I, I think that's maybe another one that might cloud it there. But, uh, yeah, I, I think Trustman, I would be surprised if they didn't at least make that call. So when I look at this issue, I look at it culturally among you know football ops groups. Historically, in football and in this league, it was a badge of honor for coaches to have their assistants get jobs. It was building your coaching tree. You were, you were getting on the phone trying to get your assistants jobs. But now with the, the cap among what you can spend on your staffs, the presidents and GMs are apt to say, there isn't a lot of movement among coaches. If you leave, how am I filling that spot when you mentioned musical chairs? How am I filling that spot on my staff at this point? And so I think they are, they're more reticent to let a guy leave because ultimately what is their contingency plan? Do you feel the, the rule with is in terms of the, the salary cap on, on football op staffs should be tied to a ruling around movement of, of coaches throughout the league? Well, I think that, I think it ties in just because the salary cap sort of restricts the perks and the opportunities, you know, to make money in the league, right? And and I think the, the coaches took that one hard. Like that, if you talk to the coaches, I'm sure you guys have, they they really found that a tough pill to swallow. So I think it kind of it, it's coming off of that that guys are going, wait a minute, you know, now we're capped and now we're prevented from advancement. And you know, to your point, you made it just you know, as you rolled into your question there. I don't think it's so much the coaches that don't want to let guys go. You know, I, I don't have any knowledge that, that Mike O'Shea was the one pounding the table saying, hey, I'm not letting my OC go. I'm not even sure it's the general managers, you know. Oh, and, I know, and I've heard from, you know, general managers in the league who think that, you know, those guys should have been able to go, uh, you know, at least, at least um, you know, from one. So I think it's more at the presidential level, you know, because the presidents are the ones who kind of – they're more, you know, they're the more possessive ones of their assets, right? They're the guys who are worried about, you know, can we sell tickets to the team? What if our, what if our team goes? Now, I think the GM's good as well. I'm sure Marcel Desjardins was looking at Jamie Elizondo and picturing Trevor Harris going with him to Saskatchewan. He looked at it and said, holy smokes, we can lose our coach. Oh, see, who's our backup quarterback? Oh, Dominique Davis. Uh, you know, it's a tough market for free agents. I can get fired in 12 months if we do this, right? So there's, there's always going to be 
And that's, this is why I think the policy, you can't put it in the hands of the GMs and our presidents. Because if you look at what Wade Miller, the president of the Bombers, just did, if he's the one who you know, made the, the call and said, no, Paul LaPolice isn't going, if Wade Miller's job is to defend the interests of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, he just did his job, right? And same thing in Ottawa. If Marcel Desjardins or their higher-ups made that call to say, Jamie Elizondo, you're not going, if their job is to defend the interests of the Ottawa Red Blacks, they just, just did it. Dave, I actually don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true because you know how those staffs are. They are with each other all of the time. Their families are with each other all of the time. And if you have a guy on your staff, the amount of hours that you're putting in, who doesn't want to be there, I don't think that's a recipe for success. And, and furthermore, for other coaches around the league, if you block a guy from advancement, if I, if, if I have two jobs that are equal, am I taking one with, with the Blue Bombers? Am I taking one with, with, the, with the Red Blacks? I'm not sure if... if they're not cutting off their nose despite their face. Well, you, you make a fair point, right? And I think that's why, in general, teams have always allowed guys to go because it's like, well, uh, okay, um, you know, if you don't want to be here, do we really want – really, if, if we don't let you go, we got a disgruntled employee is the, is the concern, right? And, and I guess, the, you know, the tricky part with, with Elizondo and, and La Police is they both can't get the job. So if either of them were to try to, you know, fight this, I don't know if they could – um, you know, one of them's going to fight it and then not get the job and have to go back to where he was <laughs> working. Right? So, you know, that, that becomes tricky. It was, it was one thing if it was, hey, you know, the bomber, the, the Saskatchewan rep writers want Jamie Elizondo and they're not, he's going to get a lawyer and try and fight this. But, but we don't know that. This is just the opportunity to interview. You could go through the process of trying to fight this, I guess. Um, and, but, but somebody's not getting the job and you've got to go back. But to your point, I think that is why, in general, it's just been an automatic. Well, why would I want a guy who doesn't want to be here? And the only instance I can think of in the league where a team – well, there's a couple of instances where I can think of where a team held a coach up from and said, no, you're not doing this, right? One was Noel Thorpe with, uh, three years ago when he was in Montreal and he wanted to go to Edmonton. They made him stay. I can't speak to what kind of job Noel Thorpe did after that. Because I, I, again, off the top of my head, Montreal's defense three years ago. They, I, they I, were I, pretty good. Not, the defense okay, so they were pretty good. Okay, so and I can't speak to any of the, the de- whether he was able to get over that or, or I, I don't know. But I'll give you – there is another example, Charlie Taft. Charlie Taft was the head coach in Hamilton, I'm going to say like about a decade ago, maybe a little less than that. Uh, he, of course, had been a head coach in Montreal, gone to the States, came back, was a big, you know, big hire by Hamilton to get him as their head coach. And he got offered, I believe, it was the offensive coordinator of the University of Maryland, I think. Um, anyway, there was a job in the NCAA that he was offered. Like he wanted to go, and the Ticats blocked it. They said, "Nope, you know, you got a coach, you got a contract here to be a head coach. We're keeping you here." Well, they fired Charlie Taff, and we ten that year, right? So, you know, the, the 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 lesson would seem to be in that one: if you have a guy who doesn't want to be here, uh, you know, what's the point? And you know, you look at Saskatchewan years ago when they let Ken Austin out of his contract with the University of Mississippi. Um, you know, those of us who know Ken Austin would say. You probably don't want a disgruntled Ken Austin who doesn't want to be there as your head coach of your football team, right? I just, I, I think he would be a guy who just. You don't want you don't want Ken Austin after a bad night's sleep or a missed missed meal either. So you definitely don't want him like that. Uh, you definitely don't want or him. a loss. You can't you can't go take a job at, at your alma mater. You know, as the offensive coordinator at the University of Mississippi. So, so Donna, I think your point is is a good one, and I think there's there's some risk in this for Ottawa and Winnipeg that these guys, you know, are, are going to have to get over this. 
And, I, look, it's, it's in their best interest to get over it because their best chance to become a head coach next season is to coach their butts off this year and do well for their teams. But they're, I, I would think that in both places, at least, you know, for a while, there's going to be a bit of tension. So where do we, where do we go now? Uh, there's a team sitting with, without, a, without a head coach, without a, a defensive co- coordinator. Where do the Riders go from, go from here, Dave? Well, I, I think they want to get this done quickly. That's the other thing I've heard. They don't want to spring this out, right? Um, they've got to look at, if they're looking at candidates for coaching, you know, how, how many changes does this candidate want to make on the staff, right? And do they have the financial flexibility to change a couple of bodies? Um, and, again, like you've got, you know, Steve McAdoo there as their offensive coordinator. If they were going to bring in Elizondo or Lapolis, you know, those, those are offensive guys. Were, were Steve McAdoo going to be the offensive coordinator? That was going to be, I think, one of the, the first questions. But they need something. Steve you know, McAdoo is a dead man walking, Dave. Steve McAdoo is a dead man walking, whether they hire an offensive guy or not. He was tied. You, you, I think you and I both know he was tied to Chris Jones. Chris Jones is gone. I don't see McAdoo last a year. And if they hire an offensive guy as the head coach, I think they get rid of McAdoo right now, regardless of the salary, impl- salary cap implications. Well, and look, here, but let me throw another one in. Who was Mike Riley's offensive coordinator when Edmonton won the Great Cup in 2015? Would have it was been, Steve McAdoo. Yeah, McAdoo. But remember, Jerry Jackson. McAdoo. The he passing, was, the yeah, passing was, game coordinator was Jarius Jackson. A lot of right. a lot of the pass game stuff came, came from Jarius. And not to you know, I'm not, I'm not here. To, I've never played for in in Coach McAdoo's offense. I have been on a team with him. The guys respected him. Uh, I have have not been in his off, offense myself, but uh, I think that. What's happened in Sask already, and I think the fan base there is, uh, I don't think that they have enough. I don't think Craig Reynolds can afford it. I don't think that whoever the next, whoever the head coaches can afford uh, to go too long with an offense that sputters if, if McAdoo is the OC, just because of all the negative, negativity you've heard from that over the last couple of years. Oh. oh, yeah. I mean, they had 11 touchdown passes last year, you know, and 18 interceptions from their quarterback. So you're right. He was tied to Jones. And, I, yeah, I don't know what his relationship with Riley was. But if it was a decent one, you, you know, you think that might be a chip that they're going to be in the sweepstakes for, for Riley coming up. In you don't believe that, Dave. He is free agency. You don't believe that, Dave. About, about – You don't believe that Mike Riley – you don't think the Saskatchewan is, is in the game. No, I, I don't. But I, I think they're going to take a run at him. You know, I, I think – again, I, look, I think Mike Riley's either staying in Edmonton or going to Vancouver. But I think – I think, you know, I think that, that – Saskatchewan's going to take a run at him. I think Toronto will take a run at him. You know, I think if Bo goes to Calgary, Calgary might take a run at him. You know, so there's there's going to be multiple suitors. And again, in a, in a cap world, there's only so much people can do. But you know, I, the, the, I think the, the simplest thing for Saskatchewan would be to promote Craig Dickinson. Because and if you look at again, I used the Ken Austin example from a few years ago when they let him go to the University of Mississippi. What did they do? They promoted Ken Miller. Why? Because it was the least disruptive thing. Right, and if they and if they hired a new coach from outside, he might want to make staff changes. They just won the Grey Cup, and they didn't want to have coaches whose reward for winning the Grey Cup was getting fired because they brought in a new head coach. So they promoted from within, and and you know that worked out pretty well for them. You know, Ken Miller proved to be you know a worthy head coach, not a guy who was on anybody's head coaching radar until Ken Austin walked out the door. But it was the circumstance that was right, and I could see the riders going down the same path. And Dickinson, I did, I do believe interviewed for the BC job this year. So it's not like he hasn't been on the radar. Um, you know, so I, I, look, I think that would be a, a likely course of action. That, that would be my guess. 
You have been all over the Atlantic Schooners, you know, even though they're not even really a team, it seems like that's the team you're covering more than any in the actual league. Uh, the, the stadium issue is clearly the main one, but they have an issue as far as where the Atlantic game is going to be played between the Argos and Owls on August 25th. Moncton Stadium has been talked about. That's 10,000 permanent seats, uh, could expand to just under 21,000. Whether it's the Atlantic game or an eventual uh, full-time home, uh, what have you heard about the stadium issues out east? Well, I know that, that Moncton is still very interested in being a host, whether it's a CFL game. Um, I, I, again, I have to go for the top of my head whether they're – whether they're going to do it there this season. I know that the idea of the Schooners playing in 2020 completely hinges on them playing in Moncton. I mean, there's no stadium going to be built for the earliest until 2021 in Halifax. And if you've been down the road with these things before, whatever we think is the earliest, it tends to be, you know, a year or two later, see Ottawa. Uh, so, you know, the idea now is, yeah, they could play this game at, at uh, I believe, in Moncton. They could play it in Halifax. They could play it in Antigonish. So, there's there's some things to be determined there, and I say on the larger picture is you know would the would the, the Atlanta Schooners play a full season in Moncton and then go to Halifax if their stadium isn't going to be ready you know whatever that happens to be till a year play there a year earlier. I don't like that idea, and and I'll, and I'll tell you why. And again, I'm going to the bigger picture here about the team. I can only think of two examples in sports where the team moved but said. Actually, before we move, we're going to stop here, and we're going to play there on our way to our eventual destination. One was in hockey, right? The Hartford Whalers became the Carolina Hurricanes and played in Greensboro, North Carolina, before they got to Raleigh. I don't know if you remember those crowds in Greensboro. Like, I remember talking to Jeff O'Neill, you know, we work at the TSN, saying he phoned his dad after those games and said, Dad, it doesn't feel like I'm in the NHL because he was, like, playing in front of 5,000 people. The other example is in the NFL. The Houston Oilers remember, moved to Tennessee. Before they became the Tennessee Titans, for a couple of years, they were the Tennessee Oilers. The plan was they were going to play two years in Memphis at the Liberty Bowl, former helm of the Memphis Mad Dog, and then they were going to move to a new stadium that was being built in Nashville. Well, after one year in Memphis, that was such a disaster. And the people in Memphis said, well, no, 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 you're not stopping here for a couple of years, getting us to invest in this team and then going on to Nashville. So they pulled up stakes after one year in Memphis and played at Vanderbilt University Stadium in Nashville before they, their stadium was ready. So those are the only two examples I can think of this in sports, and both of them were disasters. So I, I actually hope they don't sort of go down this, we're going to play in Moncton for a year road before we get to Halifax. I think you just want to do it right, you do it clean, arrive in your home, you know, regionalize the franchise by having training camp in Moncton or something like that. But I, I'm not big on the, you know, we're going to play there for a year. In terms of the Argos game this year, yeah, it's PBA, right? And that's kind of weird when when you don't know where a game is being played. But I, I assume there's you know there's some politics playing out in the East Coast on that one right now. What have you heard from evaluators about uh, the talent coming from Mexico? Obviously, Commissioner Ambrosi signed the letter of intent with the LFA in November. Held a combine not too long ago in Mexico City for 50 players. Next day, 27 players are all of a sudden you know putting on hats and and playing potentially for, for CFL teams. I, I just wonder when you look at the talent of the amount of bubble guys in the NCAA who come up here and, you know, borderline practice roster guys who never get a sniff, amount of, you know, fifth year U sports guys who get sent back, um, you know, after their fourth years. It, what's the realistic expectation from, from talent evaluators, 
waiters in terms of players from the LFA being able to assimilate and play in the league starting, I suppose, as early as next year? Yeah, I think the question, Donovan, is, is what's their expectation for 2019 versus what's their expectation two, three, five years from now? And this takes a bit of a, an education in Mexican football, which I kind of got when I was down in Mexico City for three days and, and learned a whole lot. And, and, and here, here's, like, and again, I, I knew when I reported this that it was going to get widely reported, so I wanted to get it right. And I talked to a lot of coaches, GMs, scouts that were down there. Every CFL team had at least two representatives of that combine. And I got a pretty strong consensus that they said, hey, there's a half dozen guys here that wouldn't look at a place in a camp there's another dozen guys here that if you had the time and the opportunity to develop them, you could develop them into the guys that wouldn't look out of place in a camp. And there's about 30 guys here that have no business ever thinking about playing the Canadian football league. And, you know, that, that sounds like a pretty weak class. Um, but I guess, you know, you're saying there's 18 guys there that, that would have, you know, some potential. But also, that's not necessarily to play in the league or start in the league. That's to be in camp. Like among, I think it's 70 or 75 bodies you can bring to camp. So, you know, that, that's, that's of a much sort of bit of a watered-down qualifier because we're talking about guys in camp. But here's the interesting thing about Mexican football. I was talking to a college coach down there uh, who coaches, you know, at a program where they have 75 full-ride scholarships. You know, they played, uh, you know, the University of San Diego, which is an FCS school, you know, and lost by 21, right? So they're not getting completely blown out. They, they've got good players. Um, you know, there are lots of schools, you know, there's about 50 schools in Mexico that play college football. And again, like in Canada, there's a big range from the good ones to the bad ones. But there are programs that have, I say, 75 full-ride scholarships. What this guy said to me when you're standing there watching the combine, he said, you know, most of the best players in Mexico aren't here. And I said, what? Well, why would that be? And he explained to me that because the LFA is only four years old, and before that there was no pro league, I mean, imagine Canada with the CIF or U sports as they call it now, and no CFL. Like 99% of players who played college football in Canada would just go into day jobs, right? They, they wouldn't play football. It would be over if their only option was to go play semi-pro, practice twice a week, get their bodies hurt for no money. Well, that's essentially what the LFA is. So most of the best college football players in Mexico finish their degrees, finish their eligibility, whatever, go out and never play football again because their only option is a four-year-old semi-pro league. So I think what they're looking at as part of this arrangement with the CFL is to say to the college football players of Mexico, the good ones, hey, if you play in the LFA, you can earn your way to the Canadian football league. Now, that's going to help the LFA because they're going to get better players, right? That's going to help the CFL because they can help those players can develop themselves in the LFA, and the quality of guys that you get coming to the Canadian football league can be a lot better than the ones that – were drafted on the Monday after that combine. And I, you know, I said to a coach when we were down there, I said, you know, we're watching guys doing their 40s. And I said, you know, I can see five years from now we'll be standing on the same field, and I'll say to you, man, remember those guys in 2019? There were some uh, clunkers out there, you know. And, and, and I think that's, that's what the league is hoping, right? This is, this is going to put a charge. This is going to set a goal. This is going to set a target for, for Mexican players to go to the LFA, because if you go to the LFA, you're not just playing semi-pro football in Mexico. You've got an opportunity to go somewhere to this, you know, the Canadian Football League, and I'm sure ultimately in the minds of some players, eventually the NFL. Well, 
it is the third week in January, and we're talking about football out east, football in Mexico, uh, and uh, we're always talking about football uh, in Ryderville. Thank you for uh, spending some time, and uh, please get some sleep, because evidently you've been on a lot of planes covering this league. <laughs> got, got work to do, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on the program, and uh, hey, have a great offseason. Dave Naylor always has so much um, knowledge, and we pushed him a little bit. And, and he, he, he added an interesting perspective on both the challenges from an organizational standpoint on what you do to fill these voids both in Saskatchewan, but potential voids in Winnipeg and Ottawa if they were to let their coaches go, but also for the coaches who are competitors too. And like anyone, they want to do – do better in their careers. What would you take away from our time with Dave? The, the biggest thing for me is there's, it seems like there's an uproar with, with coaches. Yeah. Uh, with people around the league that these men are being deprived of an opportunity um, to, uh, to move their career forward. I mean, these get a head coaching job uh, in Saskatchewan. That's, that's a, I mean, any head coach job is a great opportunity that these guys may never get again. And especially with the Riders' job, which I think is the best job in the league, that's that's got to be uh, that's got to be tough for these guys to, to have to realize that and, and deal with that. That being said, from a business standpoint, in in corporate Canada, do you believe that um, companies are just going to give up their their best assets because they feel like being nice? Contractually, Wade Miller, who's the one making the decision, because Michael Shea has has supposedly gone in and said, "Hey, I." Uh, let him let him go. I, I I okay it to allow because him and Paul Police are probably friends. He's allowing. He wants to allow his coaching partner, his colleague, because he knows he's been in his shoes. Allow him to go and and get this opportunity. And Wade Miller, the boss, the CEO of the company, is saying, "No, I'm not going to give up my maybe my best my best coach, my offensive coordinator, and I don't have anyone ready to fill in right now. Although Buck Pierce could fill in, maybe he said Buck's not ready, or maybe Buck needs a whole off season." To prepare. The CEO saying, no, I understand it from the business standpoint. Give your competitor one of your best coaches and leave you shorthanded. It doesn't make any sense to do that. Now, if I'm another coach, I understand where they're coming from, and I understand why these gentlemen, Elizondo and La Police, will be pissed off and understand why the fans and their colleagues are pissed off. But from a business standpoint, I get it. Yeah, I mean, if we're using the example of corporate culture and Fortune 500 companies, those companies, yeah, oh, they love promotion. They love to say that they promote employees. They love promotion within because ultimately what they want is retention. So, yeah, we are willing and looking to give you opportunities to grow within our company. But if we lose you, the cost of acquisition for someone else to come in and onboard you and do your job and do it at the same level that you were just doing it is tough for a company to take. So, so I do agree with the sentiment that – these these organizations are looking out for themselves, and and you know fan bases, I suppose, uh, should should feel good about that. I, I just feel like our your life in the in the game of football is long, and at some point, um, you you want a culture of taking care of the people who have done good work for you, whether that be within your organization or elsewhere. And so, I just from my standpoint, one, I wouldn't want you here if you don't want to be here, but two. I feel like 
the goodwill of allowing a guy to get another job and using that as a promotional tool to say, man, everyone who comes through here gets a better job, whether it's here or elsewhere. I, this is why the best and the brightest minds in football should come work for me. I think that's more important than keeping guy, a guy for an extra 365 days. Because if, if they don't lose Lapo this offseason, They'll lose him next or the one after. Like, he's, he's not going to be a coordinator. It also hurts the culture. To add, it also hurts the culture of your business, your company, which is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers by not allowing – or the Ottawa Red Blacks by not allowing these guys to move. Yeah, but I get it. But I get it because, listen, it's not, it's, not my, it's not my decision to make. And, and you know – It's tough. It, it, it's tough. It's, the timing of it is tough. And when you have to, to wait for jobs to be figured out in the NFL – and that is happening later and later. Um, that that trickle down effect impacts not just the NCAA; it impacts the CFL as well. Yeah. The, the, another thing to move to Dave also mentioned the the Mexico and the talent the talent that that they saw in Mexico and kind of how teams uh, teams saw the talent pool and was it expected unexpected. I wanted to know, and I did get a chance to ask, but I did want to know: Is a Sanchez? From Vancouver, is he considered a Mexican national? Because I, I would, I would have been that first overall pick. That receiver they drafted first overall, step back, young man. It would have been me back there at 40, 40 years old, backpedaling through the, through Mexico and uh, and breaking up balls. Think know. about all of the endorsements oh, and brand man. partnerships you would have had Killing. in Mexico. Killing. Your little PR tour in, in <laughs> Tijuana, and Cancun. <laughs> Oh, oh man! <laughs> oh man! I can't. I can't imagine. Yeah, next time we have him on, we'll ask him about, about that. Yeah, Maybe we, we'll have the commission on and ask him if I would be considered uh, a national. We we got to we got to do that. And we also got to thank our sponsor, Sport Clips. Uh, I'm gonna be coming through soon to get taken care of. You know, actually, and normally. Oftentimes, fans know this. You're in the barber chair. And they don't necessarily have TVs. You can't watch sports. So what are you doing? You're streaming on your phone. What I love about sports clips is TVs everywhere. Whatever game you want to watch, you can watch it. And I, I don't know if you've had this experience at many a barbershop, but when the arguments about sports get hectic in the barbershop, you hear, you hear that click. You know what I'm talking about? That click where, oh, man, my barber is no longer cutting. It clicks and now we're arguing now and talking. you're like man i gotta get I gotta out of here <laughs> i need my cut but the thing about sport clubs you you block in that time you know that you can just chill relax because even when those sports arguments are heavy you can just chill and, and you can watch some sports so visit sportclips.ca slash contest enter your name into the draw because we're going to take care of you you can go into that contest that's running right now until february 2nd you get yourself a little cfl jersey customized to your favorite player name and number or put your own name on there put sanchez and number two on there if you want to show some love to davis um we got a client appreciation thing that's going on um so make sure uh, you're a part of it well of course my first edition on this podcast and we go super long because i am long-winded and i just have so many thoughts questions about the league that i want to answer hey if you have questions about the league that you want answered from us hit us up obviously the league counts at cfl uh i'm at donovan bennett donovan with two n's because my parents are west indian and difficult so they named it different than everybody else it's at davis sanchez it's very straightforward um, but yeah, we want to know what you want us to talk about, potential guests that you want to hear from. Uh, this is literally the podcast for you. This is why we're doing it. So give us some feedback and literally give us some feedback. Make sure you like, make sure you subscribe, make sure you share, uh, make sure you favorite 
wherever you're getting this podcast, make sure you show some love uh, because it allows us to do this virtually for free. So thank you for the love. And thank you, Davis, for having me. TV, it's going to be great. It's going to be a great year. Welcome welcome to the crew. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get out of here now because you're buying me lunch, bro. Thank <laughs> you.